I want to welcome you to our brand new series we started last week on heaven. And we are asking the question, what will heaven be like one of those days according to the Bible? Uh, we all have questions about heaven, don't we? Uh, a number of you have sent me questions after I asked for them, and I want to encourage you to keep sending them. I am interested in, in receiving more, some really good questions, questions like, uh, what will my relationships be like in heaven? A couple of you ha have wondered, I, I, if I've been married more than once, will the spouses get along? <laughs> this is a great mystery. Um, some of you have asked, will there be food in heaven? And um, I think the Bible's answer is yes, great food with no carbs. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Some of you have asked, are there animals in heaven? Uh, sometimes I get asked by people, will there be dogs in heaven? And I always say, well, I don't really know. The Bible doesn't say it could be. Sometimes people ask, what about cats? Will there be cats in heaven? And I answer, no. <laughs> so keep those questions coming, unless they're about cats. Um, not interested, so... <laughs> You know, there are all kinds of books about heaven. Maybe you've, you've seen some of them. Maybe you've read some of them. A few books have really been of great help to me as I've studied. Uh, particularly, I highly recommend Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven. Uh, probably the most comprehensive book uh, available right now. But also, uh, Chip Ingram's book, The Real Heaven. Uh, John Burke's book, Imagine Heaven. They've been really helpful. And then, if you really want to dig in uh, to some theology, uh, Wayne Grudem, who was one of my professors in my PhD program, has written this massive, it's almost, I think it's 1,500 pages, systematic theology, uh, but there's not 1,500 pages in heaven. It'd be a great resource to have to study all kinds of things, but you might want to check that out as well. Last week, we read Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, and, and I pointed out to you in those verses that God actually commands us to set our hearts on heaven to think about heaven, to long for heaven. It's actually a command that we either obey or we disobey. I want to read those verses again. Uh, Paul says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, heaven is so very important that God wants us, commands us to set our hearts and set our minds on it, to give careful thought to eternity so that we, we long for it and, and so that the reality of it is actually shaping our lives today. See, we're going to see all through this series, and I hope you've been picking up on this already, that the subject of heaven is actually very practical and very relevant for life today. In fact, I would say to that common saying that all of us have heard and a lot of us have used that sometimes people are so heavenly minded they're of no earthly good, that saying actually gets it backwards for most people. Far more people are so earthly minded that their lives end up having no real impact on eternity. That's a far greater problem I would submit to you. So what is heaven like? What is it like? Well, we talked about 
some of the unbiblical ideas that people uh, have last week. Today, I want us to dig into a reality that I think many of us are unaware of, and I'll sum it up like this. You might want to write it down so you think about it. Uh, heaven is not the same place forever and ever. In fact, the heaven that we think of when we say grandma's in heaven, the place that we will go to when we die, that's actually not our final destination. Uh, heaven today is what theologians uh, typically call the intermediate heaven. Now, it's a wonderful place, and I want to be there, and you should desire to be there. But you just need to know it's not the entire story. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about the intermediate heaven. And then next week, we're going to explore heaven as it will be out into eternity, our final, ultimate, eternal destination. So let's start at this point. I, I give you a brief definition of heaven. Heaven, by definition, is where God is. And the creator God wants to be with the people that he created. Now, if you study the Bible kind of in the big picture, you'll see that the Bible shows us three different eras of where and how God lives with people. I want you to see on this screen kind of a little chart that will unpack some of that. Uh, first of all, in the first two chapters of Genesis, we see the Garden of Eden. Uh, there's this perfect garden on a perfect earth. God delegates rule to mankind. And God visits uh, Adam and Eve from heaven in this perfect environment and God's plan was that they would be co-creators over earth, that there would be perfect relationships in this perfect setting. And one of the things you need to think about when you look at those first two chapters, we see that they didn't sit around and play harps. We see them working. There was work to do. There was creativity for them. Adam had to name animals. There was farming and working with the animals. I mean, there was, there was just this life of, of activity. And then in Genesis 3, sin enters the picture. And actually, this next phase is Genesis 3 all the way through the Bible, all the way almost to the end, Revelation 20. And in this time, God is relating to fallen mankind. And in today's world, because God created the earth and it is good, but that it, it's fallen, we, we see glimmers and tastes of what heaven is going to be like maybe in a sunset maybe in a mountain vista maybe in the birth of a baby but today's world is fallen it's distorted from god's original plan god's original creation didn't have earthquakes or tornadoes or tsunamis god's original plan for this world did not include cancer and all kinds of other diseases and today alongside of this the heaven that exists is this intermediate heaven. And this is where you would go if you died today. See, God is working out his plan that one day he will fully restore the creation that sin has marred. That one day there will be a new heaven and a, a new earth. And actually that heaven will come down on this new earth they will be joined and there will be resurrected mankind on that new earth and God's original plan will get restarted and reborn and it'll all happen the way he intended and it's not just going to be clouds and harps and just worship but there's going to be a city prepared by Jesus called Jerusalem 
It's going to be on this new earth that is better and, and pure. And there will be jobs and culture and, and music and art and scientific inventions and adventures and achievements. There will be galaxies to explore. It will be the way that life was always intended to be with one another and with God. See, this is the ultimate heaven that the Bible talks about. And part of understanding what the Bible teaches on heaven is getting clarity on, on this. So God started with a place where he, he wants to be with his people. And this is actually the overarching theme of, of Scripture. This creator God who spoke the entire universe into existence. He longs to be in relationship with individual people that he created just like you and just like me. It's about relationship. God wants to be with his people. And we really see it all through this. In Eden, God came to the garden. He walked and talked with Adam and Eve, this perfect environment with love and acceptance and complete transparency. But then when they sinned and they distorted what he had made, he cared so much that after sin entered the world, he didn't abandon us. And he eventually comes in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and he lives this perfect life Jesus does. Jesus demonstrates to us by his life and by his words what God is truly like. He promised to prepare a place. And on Calvary, one day he dies and he breaks the curse of sin. He pays for the sin of the world. Three days later, Easter Sunday, God raises his son from the dead, and he now offers to whoever will believe the opportunity to be with him forever see one day there's going to come a day where there is a new heaven and a new earth and and then in completeness he will be our god and he will be with us and there will be no separation at all now today i want to take you on a journey and i want to focus in and tell you what heaven is like right now because again when we talk about heaven today when we talk about where, where our loved ones are who who know christ but have died like my dad who died 10 months ago today we're talking about this intermediate heaven and the bible actually gives us some very specific information about what heaven is like right now uh, next week we're going to explore what really happens in the new heavens and new earth, the life, the jobs, the relationships, the adventures, on, on into eternity. But today it's the intermediate heaven we want to look at. And so here's the question. What happens one minute after you die? As a follower of Christ, what does the Bible say that your life would be like one minute after you die until Christ returns and judges all things for all time and and then he sets up a new heaven and a new earth are, are you ready to go on this journey i want you to have two things that you assume as we start on this journey and the first you may not have to assume but the second i sure hope everyone has to assume assumption number one is regardless of your spiritual background today because every service we have all kinds of people in different places on spiritual journey different beliefs different convictions regardless of that i want you to assume for this moment anyway that you're a Christ follower you have turned from your sin and repentance and and you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and you receive his salvation so that when you die 
you will go and be with God in heaven. Assumption number one. Assumption number two, and we'll make this actually the moment right here in about three seconds, you will have a massive heart attack. What would happen to you immediately after that? What does the Bible say happens one minute after you die? What is life like in heaven for people right now in what theologians call the, the, the intermediate heaven? What will it be like from now until God consummates all things one day? Are you ready for that? Let's, let's dig in. Number one, here it is. You can write it down on your notes. Your soul will separate from your physical body. See, when you die, your, your physical body dies. And, and let's be clear on this reality. He, Hebrews 9.27 says, Each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. We, we have one life, and we die. And then eternity begins for us. And I'm just going to say this. We're not going to delve into it. But reincarnation is a false idea. It is not true. It does not happen. The Bible is clear. But when our physical body dies, our soul leaves our body. And Paul writes about this reality in 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. He says, therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So death first means that we are away from our body. Next, number two, angels will usher your soul to heaven. Uh, Luke 16 has this really interesting, intriguing story that Jesus tells. Some people call it a, a parable, more likely because of the details. Jesus is telling an actual story about some actual people, and it begins like this. There was a rich man, verse 19, who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. So we're kind of given a clue here that one of the jobs of angels is to escort your soul to heaven after your soul separates from your body. There, there's this incredible story uh, about this that, that happened in 1956. And some of you know this story. It's the, the story of, of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot and a number of other missionary families who had gone to Ecuador, who were going into the jungle, deep into the jungle, trying to reach this very primitive tribe known as the Aka Indians. And in 1956, they were starting this uh, adventure. They were seeking to establish contact with this tribe, very primitive tribe. And on January the 8th of that year, the five men were killed. Now, this tribe was extremely violent. I mean, they, they lived a lifestyle of murder. They killed other tribes' people. They murdered each other. It was like, like as evil a group as you might find anywhere. And these missionaries had been praying for them, and, and they had they had flown into the jungle, they were dropping gifts, trying to communicate that they were favorable to them, and they, they wanted to know them and be friends with them, but they, they landed on January 8th as the first time to actually touch down on ground, and this, within minutes of landing on a beach by a river, they were speared to death, all five. 
and it's an incredible story. You should read it, but that's not whole, all of the story because after this, these five wives, widows, they, they got together and they said, our husbands can't waste their lives. When they went back into the jungle to seek to reach that tribe and miraculously, eventually, that tribe came to Christ. These men who actually had killed the missionaries, the husbands of these women, they became believers. And as they began to grow in Christ, they started telling the story of that day. And one of the things they said happened was after they killed those men, they had this really weird experience. They said there was singing in the trees. And they didn't know what to do with that. And they said, and there were also these white figures that came down and went over the bodies and then took them up into the sky. They, they saw something. They didn't know how to describe it. But I think it's telling us the truth. The Bible teaches that God really does want to be with you. That some way, somehow, as a follower of Jesus, this is what happens when you die. You get an escort to heaven. Number three, you will be immediately in God's presence. Uh, referring back to the passage we read, 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, uh, it teaches us that when we're away from the body, we are with the Lord. So the Bible teaches one minute after you die, your soul separates from your physical body. You are ushered by angels to heaven. No stops along the way, and you are immediately in God's presence. You will see God. You will see Jesus. And then number four, the Bible says you will be able to think, feel, talk, and remember. You, you will be conscious, aware of who you are, of where you are. You'll be able to think and feel and, and, and talk and, and communicate, able to remember something of your, your life on earth and I won't read it again, but we go back to Luke 16 uh, to these words of Jesus. And this rich man, he, he finds himself separated from God by this great chasm. And there's this beggar who is a, a follower of Christ who is with him. And, and we see as they communicate, they're able to think and feel and talk. They recognize one another. They remember something of the past in their lives. And so when you die as a believer, it's not like you have this disembodied spirit floating around. You have no idea of where you are and what's going on. You do. You're conscious. You're, you're aware. The real you is in the real presence of God. And then number five, you will participate in incredible worship. There will be, the Bible says, multitudes of angels, believers, all gathered before God's throne. I want you to go ahead and turn to Revelation 4 and, and kind of be able to follow along with me. And as you're getting there, two things that I want you to get. You can write this down. Uh, this is happening. What we're going to read about, this is happening in heaven right now. And second, this is not what heaven is like forever. And I point this out because I think when many of us read this passage, at least it was like this for me for a long time, it's kind of easy to think that this is the complete picture uh, of what happens in heaven. And that's really kind of all this 
that there is. Now, don't get me wrong. This is incredible what we're going to read about. It is magnificent, breathtaking, awesome worship. But, but it's just part of the experience of heaven. So what we're going to read, it's happening in heaven right now. And so maybe you can enter into it this way in part, that if someone you love has died, this is part of their experience right now. Not all of it, but part. So the angels have taken you into God's presence. You're aware. You can think and feel and remember. Revelation 4 says, beginning in verse 1, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there, had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumble, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Now, is there a word we keep, keep hearing here? It's the word throne. What happens from thrones? Well, someone rules. And so the very first snapshot that we get of heaven is of someone in control of everything. Not just this planet, but the galaxies, the universe, and it's an overwhelming picture. Verse 6, in the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And we learn first that God is holy. Second, that he is all-powerful. And third, that he is eternal. He's forever and ever the uncreated one. God is the source and center and focal point of all life, past and present future and holy means that he's not like us not like us at all he's utterly above us utterly beyond us there is no category for him that's what holy means separated and different and you will bow before him you will in this moment have a, a simultaneous experience of being drawn to him and loved by him while also at the same time feeling overwhelmed and shattered and fearful all together, all at once. If you skip to Revelation 5, a few paragraphs down, verse 6 says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And so we see Jesus 
Jesus at the center of the throne, at the center of all this worship. Verse 9, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. I want you to notice. It says they will reign. And where will they reign? Where does it say? On the earth. Keep that in mind. So this is this worship service, and it's amazing. Verse 11, then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. So... It's kind of like, bam, heart attack. Your soul separates. Angels usher to you to heaven. You're in the presence of God immediately. You're aware. You come before a throne and you are overwhelmed. And there's tens of thousands of angels worshiping. And in that moment, anything you ever thought about God gets clarified and expanded. Because he is infinitely more than everything that we are able to conceive and then infinitely more beyond that. And you realize I am now in the presence of the one. The one who is ruler and sovereign and holy over all. And there's just this level of beauty that's breathtaking. This level of power that causes you to be filled with, with awe. You're in absolute awe and ecstasy at the same time. And here's the thing. This is, this is just part of what is happening in heaven. It's not all. But I want to focus your mind on this, that this is what is happening right now. This is going on right now. Look at number six. You will have some awareness of what's happening on earth. So the Bible says you're in this worship service, and, and it actually doesn't go on forever. Later in Revelation it says... They take a break for a half an hour. So I don't know, I guess in heaven, you still have to take a break from singing sometimes, right? You can't sing forever. And, and they take this break, but you see that they are aware to some extent of what's going on on earth. Now in Hebrews 11 and 12, we, we read about how we are living before a great cloud of witnesses. And we're not sure totally what that means, but I want you to look at, at Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11. It says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. And these are martyrs, okay? They were slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe. And they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. I want you to notice three things. First, the souls under the altar. Uh, this is the Greek word suke, and we get our word psyche from this word. 
it refers to the immaterial part of us, but often it is used really to refer to the whole person. So whatever the real you is, the real you is there. That's your, your soul. And next, we, we see they're clothed with white robes. So they're, they're, they're not disembodied spirits. Even in this intermediate heaven, there's a covering. There's some kind of level, we, we would think, of, of some kind of physicality. And then third, they know something because they're looking down on earth and they're asking, how long? I mean, how long will all the evil and all the suffering continue and all the injustice? And the only way they can ask that is if they have some awareness of what's happening on earth. So we don't really know how much, but there seems to be something that they know. And then seven, you will recognize and communicate with believers. In Luke 9, there's this account that we call the transfiguration. You've probably read it before. You remember Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus, and, and Jesus has some disciples with him. And you remember that that Peter speaks, and he, he, he asks if he can do something, and, and you'll notice he, he doesn't say, who are these guys? So somehow, evidently, we can recognize people. And I, I think that the Bible tells us that you will know when you meet your mom. You'll know when you're reunited with your husband or your wife or your child, you'll know. It's one of the recurring themes, common reports of, of people who have experienced what, what we refer to as NDEs, near-death experiences, is that they meet people who are strong followers of Jesus. And so we'll recognize people and we'll, we'll talk with them. And this gives me great hope. I, I don't know about you, but as I said, you know, I, I'm going to get to see my dad. And this hope that we have as followers of Christ, this hope God gives to us as we look forward to heaven is this, that, there, that this isn't all that there is. There really is a place where those that we've lost will be found, will be reunited with them. And, and this gives us great perspective. And when, when we suffer loss, when someone dies, we do grieve, we experience great loss, but as followers of Christ, our lives don't have to fall apart for the rest of our lives because we know there's more. So, the heart attack happens. Your soul separates from your body. Angels escort you to heaven. You're immediately in God's presence and you're conscious and you participate in great worship. You have some awareness of what's happening on earth and you're meeting some people and then eight. One day all living Christians will join you when Jesus comes again. So at some point, and this is still in the future for us, we'll, we'll all come before the judgment seat or the Bema seat of Christ. And this is a judgment for rewards. A judgment for rewards. So kind of review. We, we have Genesis 1 and 2, perfect earth. And then Genesis 3, through all the rest of the Old Testament, God is sending prophets, telling people he loves them, that he will one day send a Messiah who will pay for their sins. And then Jesus comes one day, and Jesus lives, and Jesus dies, and Jesus pays for our sins on the cross. God the Father raises him from the dead, and then God births this supernatural community that we call the church where God's Holy Spirit indwells and fills and empowers 
God's people, regular people, just like us. And we are in this day tasked to take the good news, the gospel, to all peoples everywhere on earth. This is the reality we live in now, but one day we don't know when. And by the way, if someone ever says they do know when, you know one thing, right? They're wrong. Don't even waste time. Don't keep reading them. They're wrong. Because we don't know when this is going to happen, but we know it will happen. One day, God is going to begin to wrap up all of human history, all of this world's history. And there will be during this time a a seven-year period of terrible things called the Great Tribulation. Now, some of you know that this is where so much of the, the controversy about how to interpret Revelation focuses because some people believe that when Jesus comes again, he's going to take his people out of the world at the beginning of the tribulation before it happens. Some think like it's going to happen right in the middle of the seven years. Other people think it's going to happen at the end of the tribulation. By the way, we're not going to talk about that here, okay? That's another topic for another day. And in fact, just don't even ask me about it on the way out or anything like that, okay? Ain't nobody got time for that today. (laughs) Just today, okay? Just today. What we can all agree on is Jesus is coming again one day. Amen? Amen. And when he comes again, he will take every living Christ follower to be with him in heaven. And this will begin this process of God wrapping up all of human history. We will be, if we have died, we will be in heaven with him. Those he takes with him will be in heaven with him. We're having some awareness of what's happening on earth. There's going to come a, a, a time of judgment. I alluded to that. Second Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And again, this is not judgment for your sin. If you know Jesus, your sin has been judged on the cross completely. It's over. Your sins have been forgiven. This judgment is an evaluation that has to do with how we lived our lives. It's a judgment for rewards. And we'll talk about this some more in the weeks to come. But then what happens from here to eternity? At some point in history, God's going to begin what we're we're seeing right now, this process of bringing everything to consummation and restoration. So I I want to kind of fast forward, do a real quick overview. And and there's a lot that happens in Revelation 6 to 19. We're going to pass over that right now and go all the way to Revelation 19, where we read about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the context here is that God's judgment is being meted out. We're, We're up in heaven There's this great battle going to happen called Armageddon. But before that, Revelation 19, there's what is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. So all the the New Testament believers, the the, the bride, now with the bridegroom. And let's pick this up in verse 1, Revelation 19. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. And so he's talking about his judgments. Verses 6 and following. Then I heard 
what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. And again, you know, we get things so mystical sometimes. Jesus said to the disciples at the last supper, the night before he was crucified, I'm going to come back and I'm not going to eat of this meal again until my kingdom. And shortly after this meal happens, and, and I don't know what it, it's going to be like, but can we agree it's going to be amazing, right? I mean, it's going to be great. Shortly after this meal, Jesus will come and he's going to do something that down, down deep in all of our hearts, we really want to see happen. And it's part of our greatest frustration of life in this broken, fallen world. But it's kind of an interesting thing. When we talk about it, we often push away from it. We get uncomfortable around it. We're afraid to, to talk about it and openly and expre express it explicitly. But what is happening now is that God reveals his justice. And justice is people getting what they deserve. And if you kind of scroll back all through Revelation, you will see again and again that God is offering mercy and forgiveness. And again and again, people keep pushing God away. They keep resisting. They keep rebelling. They keep rejecting God. And, and not only that, they, they're evil. They, they attack the things of God. And you know, in our culture today, we talk a lot about education and technology. And a lot of people, you know, think that we've made a lot of progress as mankind, you know, through the, the decades and the centuries. But have you noticed as we get technologically more advanced, it just seems that we end up killing more people. I don't know if you know this, but historically, the 20th century was the bloodiest in history. Hundreds and hundreds of millions of people slaughtered. Tens of millions. We don't even really know for sure. Killed by Joseph Stalin. You know, even more probably killed by Chairman Mao. Uh, Millions killed by Adolf Hitler. And then there's Cambodia and Idi Amin. And then there's ethnic cleansing that's taken place in many different places. Even now, all this evil. Something in our hearts. Because we're made in God's image, we want justice. And we even see it right close to home in a senseless murder here in Tracy last Sunday night, actually just a few blocks from where I live, there's evil. And we see that. And as you're in heaven talking with family, if you've re had a re reunion with, you're enjoying this amazing meal with your Savior, you will be waiting God's judgment of the earth after the tribulation. And then there's going to come a moment where you will be bodily resurrected. And then we're told that, that believers in Christ will reign with Christ for a thousand years on the earth. This is Revelation 20. Look at verses 4 and following. It says, I saw thrones. 
on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So Jesus comes back, and it's harsh, and there's judgment, and there's a battle, and he makes everything right. And then for a thousand years on the earth, there's the people who made it through that. New Testament saints, Old Testament saints, for a thousand years, all the promises and all the rewards of God are, are being lived out. And, and I don't know if you're like me, but I've read this at times, and I've kind of wondered to myself, why, why did God do it like this? I mean, it kind of seems like you would go from Armageddon, like, you know, straight into eternity. Why do you have this thousand years you know, where there seems to be this kind of interruption of things. And the Bible doesn't really tell us. There could be several reasons, I suppose. But I was just thinking about this. You know, again, for a couple of hundred years now, people in Western civilization have been putting great faith in education. And many people all around us think, and probably some of us kind of think this as well, we've sort of imbibed this from the culture. We think if we could just educate everyone in all the world, if people could just think rightly, which, by the way, means like me, not you. You know, that's how we think. If we could create an environment that's healthy and unpolluted, you know, both physically and uh, intellectually and emotionally, I mean, if all of that, you know, we all know mankind is basically good. If we just had enough time and just had enough technology and just had enough education to help people learn to do what is right, it would all be good. This is a core philosophy of how so much of our culture thinks. Maybe even some of us do as well at some unconscious level. But here's the reality. Let me say it again. Isn't it interesting to realize that the more educated we get, the more technologically advanced we get, we just kill more people. We just find new advanced ways for us to sit on thrones and try to be in control. And I think it's interesting that here in Revelation, think about it. You have this 1,000 years, a perfect environment. Jesus is king. I mean, finally, there's going to be a good government somewhere, right? <laughs> People live through that for generation after generation after generation. And, and they marry and they have children. And Satan is locked up so there is no evil for 1,000 years. But, but the Bible says after 1,000 years, God releases Satan. And he allows demonic activity one more time. And people are tempted. And it is amazing that a significant part of the population who have only lived in a perfect environment, only lived under a perfect government, only lived with the best education and perfect relationships for 1,000 years, and they turn away. And they rebel against the God who loves them. And they choose to sit on their own thrones and to rule their own lives. Isn't it just like God to say, let me explain to you the heart of man, the fallen 
sinful heart of people. See, we all think we're better than we are. And yet sometimes we read stories and they make us wonder, you know, stories like those in Nazi Germany when under the right circumstances with enough pressure and strong enough temptation in desperate situations, it is almost unthinkable what the human heart can do. And it's easy to say, oh, that's all those other evil people. But that's in the heart of every fallen human being. That's all of us. And nobody wants to say amen on that. <laughs> God says, I will deal with that. There will be justice. Finally, finally, we will see the justice of God at the judgment of Satan and of the evil angels and of the wicked dead at the great white throne. There's just this cataclysmic end to it all. This is what he said. This is verse 11, Revelation 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them and I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and books were opened another book was opened which is the book of life the dead were judged according to what had been that they had done as recorded in the books the sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what he had done then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. We don't like to talk about judgment and hell. But the Bible talks about it. The Bible is forthright. C.S. Lewis has so many profound things to say about eternity. And in one of his writings, he said, what people don't understand about hell is the lock is on the inside of the door. See, everyone who is in hell chooses to be there, wants to be there. God is just. And so anyone who longs and seeks for it and who wants to be with God, God's loving. He sent his son. Jesus died for our sins. He will forgive. Those who go to hell choose it. They have rebelled against and rejected God, and God lets them go their own way. God says to them, in a sense, thy will be done. If anyone says, God, help me, God, help me, thy will be done, God will meet that person where they are. God will reveal his goodness. So never think that it's like there are people in hell begging for God to let them into heaven. And God says, no, they don't want anything to do with God or his goodness. See, God in his mercy and his grace, he gave each of us freedom to choose or reject. And you'll be in heaven and you'll realize the things that were so evil, so wrong. And that there has come a day when every wrong will be made right. And there will be justice. I mean, there was forgiveness offered, but there will be justice. Every wrong made right once and for all. And so now... Everything is right and fair. Human history as we know it has come to a close and it's like taking your breath away. And then, and then in that moment, I mean, it's unimaginable. Out of the sky comes down new heaven, new earth. Look at Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, 
prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. I'll just stop right there because what you have experienced is what theologians call the intermediate state. You've been in the intermediate heaven. That's what we've been talking about, but now the transition begins. And John describes something else. God does this massive thing that we'll talk about next week where he, he cleanses the earth and he makes it a new earth and he brings down a new heaven, new galaxies, new universe. I mean, the first time, first time, all God did was speak and it happened. This is not going to be any big deal for God, all right? And then you can read it maybe this week and think about it. There will be this enormous city. It's described as 1,400 miles wide and 1,400 miles deep and 1,400 miles high. It's like this perfect cube and gates that will open and kings and countries and commerce and books to be written and songs to be sung and jobs to be created and nations will come together and there'll be treaties and life and work and you will be doing all the things that you were created and designed to do like never before. And just think about it. We will have new supernatural glorified bodies. Don't raise your hand. But anybody here say, I'd vote for a new body. You're going to get one one day if you know Jesus. The Bible says we will be like Jesus was after his resurrection. If you're wanting some clues, go read about Jesus after his resurrection. We will finally be everything God meant us, created us to be effortlessly, always, without exception. And then the earth will be new as well. Our, our glorified bodies, with our glorified bodies, we will begin to enjoy forever and ever and ever what God originally created this world to be. I mean, think about how good it is now, though it is broken and fallen and marred and distorted. Try to imagine how wonderful it will be. It's going to be glorious. I mean, I, I, we can only try, begin to try to describe it now, but one day we will know and experience God and his goodness and his good creation in glorious fullness forever. One day. And I'm hoping right now that you're looking forward to eternity, maybe at least a little bit more than when you came in this morning. And I'm hoping right now that if you do not know for certain that you will experience eternity that I've been describing with the God who created you, the God who loved you so much, he sent his only son to die for your sins. I hope you will give him your life today. Because you can do that today. You can turn from ruling your own life today. The Bible calls that repentance. You can repent of your sins today. And, and you can put your trust in Jesus, God's son to forgive your sins, the sins that he died for on the cross. You can do that today. You can receive the gift of eternal life today. You can. Will you? If you don't know it, 
today, will you?